Welcome to the Native Artist Podcast from Indigify, where every week we'll take a look into the unique stories and perspectives of Native artists. My name is Tristan Agnarok Morgan. I'm an Anipop contemporary artist who works in oil and watercolor. I've been following Tristan Morgan on Instagram for some time and really love how she incorporates Inuit culture into her paintings. Her art features everyday Inuit items like ulus, traditional foods like muktuk, and opens up conversations on issues Indigenous people are still dealing with today. Her portraits, many of which are of Indigenous women, are done with meticulous detail, capturing Native life. Having collaborated with Tristan on the short film Who We Are, I was able to see firsthand the care she puts into her work as she painted a portrait in honor of her great-aunt Marie, who was one of the women who helped raise her. In the portrait, the surroundings around Marie are eroding away, a parallel to the discussion of climate change and how it affects us while celebrating the strength and legacy of Indigenous people. I'm your host, Alexis Salee. Stay with us as we speak with Tristan Morgan. Thanks for joining me today. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> if you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself as you would to an audience. Okay. My name is Tristan Aganard Morgan. My family names are Sagavan and Nagavana. My family is from Wainwright, Alaska, and I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here. You use Aganoric, that's your native name. And I kind of want to talk about the power behind native names. For instance, mine's Anorak. And Anorak comes from my grandmother's best friend. And it's so interesting because when we get these names, we're very young and how our elders can see this intuition in you that is related to someone else. When I was very young, I got Anorak. You know, how did they know as I'd gotten older and as I grew up that me and my grandma would spend so much time together and we're like best friends and we would go camping and fishing together, just us. And how that's so related to my native name and the person she's named me after. I'm curious about your native name and where it comes from and do you relate to it in that way? Yeah, I'm named after my great-grandma, Rosie. And so her three Inupiaq names are Agnarok, Sukagruk, and Kignuk. I don't know why Agnarok stuck, but those three names I got from her. It's really interesting kind of learning about the naming process of Inupiaq people and how you take on the personality of the person that you're named after. And I think it's really cute that we have, you know, a specific word for namesake where you you share the same name as someone, or if you share the same name with someone where you got the name from the same person. So like Atiga, it shows like how important names are. I knew very little of Maya Maorosi, but as far as I'm concerned, what people have told me, she was incredibly strong-willed. And she was a master skin sewer. She was an artist <laughs> and she was very stern and very outspoken. And I feel like I have grown into that. <laughs> like growing up, I was very quiet. I have a very soft spoken voice. So a lot of people just can't hear me. When I reconnected, that was the family member that I 
I looked to the Nagavana family, Tagalog Nagavana, who my cousin's named after. They were really important people in kind of the community. Like he was a composer and she was a dancer. So he would make songs for her to dance Aww. to. So just hearing stories of that and how much they loved each other and how much they loved their culture and language and keeping on these traditions, it's something that I'm able to really hold on to, especially having her as the person I'm named after. Inupiaq names are traditionally given at a young age. It usually comes from a relative or close family friend that has passed away, allowing for the child and their personality to be protected and guided until the name is theirs. Our elders know, they know that you carry that with you. So there's there's a really important background to our names. Whenever I explain to people, like when I tell them what my Inupiaq name is, I tell them I'm not telling you what my name is. This is my name. This is who I am. Like, it's not something that I possess or that it's like mine because it's shared, but it's something that's me. And because it's part of me and because I got it from someone, they're with me as well. There's so much depth to our Inupiaq names. The Nupiak drum is said to be the heartbeat of a community. And here's a little taste of it for you. So I want to go into a little bit more of your art and how you bring awareness through your art. One big tool that you use is social media. You have a big presence on Twitter. And I'm curious about how you started to use social media as a way to spread awareness and then actually seeing like it opening up conversations and people being interested, just Native people being able to talk to each other through social media. I think that was the biggest part of the process was finding a community that I could be a part of. Once I really started getting onto social media was around the time where I was feeling very, very lost in my art when it wasn't as well received within my academics. But then I also didn't have any connections outside of UA, which is essential to being an artist. You need to have connections in the community. So I looked to Twitter. I started following a bunch of Native artists and I was seeing that they're also doing contemporary work in the lower 48. And I was excited because it was something that I could see becoming more and more present, especially in Anchorage. And I went out into the community, like I forced myself to go out to the community and talk to people. And Instagram is a great way to connect and, you know, we'll follow each other and then constantly keep up on each other's work. And people in Anchorage started realizing that, I had a large presence on Twitter as well. And which also I feed back into the community by uplifting voices and promoting different artists. And, you know, if I like someone's work or if it's something great, amazing, culturally centric, then I'll throw it up somewhere on Instagram or on Twitter. And so I think building that community was like really, really important. So I have a really strong community on both Twitter and Instagram the majority of them are actually outside of Alaska. I think that kind of helps with spreading that word faster. I remade my Twitter because I was so overwhelmed with how many people were following me. And now I'm getting up there again. And I'm like, no, no one listened to me. But at the same time, I'm like, I need you to listen to me. So I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm kind of on the edge. 
It's interesting because, uh, you know, you're putting it very nicely and like promoting each other and showing these things. But you've also gone head to head with people on Twitter and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and specifically even like calling people out, which why not? Right. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I don't take it. I don't take it seriously. I feel like some people think I take it very seriously, but I know it's Twitter. I can just close the app and then I can just go on yeah. with my day. But it's also really important that these you know, these sentiments get challenged. And so I've I've definitely got into arguments with anti-Indigenous vegans, which then once you kind of go into getting into that with a group, especially with Twitter, people just start piling on. So then you get troll accounts and then you get just people who are just like so mean. <laughs> so you kind of have to like not take it seriously and step back and be like, okay, I know what I believe in and I know I'm right and I'm standing up for something. So you just kind of have to like reflect and process and decompress. In today's world, natives connecting through social media is the new norm. It's how I've heard of many of the indigenous musicians, artists and activists I follow and found many of my greatest collaborators. Having grown up in Anchorage, Alaska, Tristan's journey into reconnecting to her culture began in college while studying fine art at the University of Alaska Anchorage. As many of us who have grown up in an urban city, that journey comes with many exciting and healing moments, but also some sad and frustrating ones, when unlocking all the history and truths that were never told to us or were never validated. In a place we call the largest village in Alaska, Tristan found herself being one of the only Native students and at times the only Native in the room. Especially the last year, that I was in school, I really kind of honed in on my cultural identity. And so it was like a form of reconnecting for me and reclaiming. No one just really wanted to talk about it. And that was just kind of frustrating because I felt like I wasn't actually being listened to. There was one student in particular who made it very known that she did not share the same views as I did. So she, at one point in one of my classes, I was talking about cultural appropriation in uh, my aesthetics class. The majority of what I was talking about were like Native issues or stuff around cultural appropriation. And she asked like the professor, what about all the good things we brought Natives? And she's from the lower 48, came up here. I'm not quite sure when. I just avoided her. I was like, I'm not even going to engage in this. It's not worth my time. It's not worth my energy. It was just so painful. I think it kind of just brought me back to like growing up in Anchorage and just being mm -hmm. constantly invalidated or shut down or, you know, too political. You're making everything about race, like all these things. And I'm like, no, actually, like these things are happening to me. I don't know. <laughs> Reflecting back at it now as an adult, I realize that, you know, you receive a lot of microaggression growing up in an urban setting where Anchorage is considered, you know, the largest village in, in Alaska, but it's, there's still a lot of stigma, a lot of stereotypes, a lot of discrimination. And I don't think people, they don't like being reminded of their casual racism. And also people tend to take that very personally instead of having that moment for growth and reflection. It's gotta be a crime 
Whether it's an unpleasant experience with a classmate or an internal issue, painting has helped Tristan process, drawing from her observations and experiences as a native who grew up in an urban setting and fostering discussions among the community. A print I personally own and have gifted to friends and family is her Dream Lady piece. It's of a woman's face with hands coming from above and holding her face, having a sense of calmness and care to it. I'll go through a series of having nocturnal anxiety attacks. Like I'll get sleep paralysis, but then I'll also like wake up very frantic. Like I'm kind of having night terrors, like children have night terrors, but I'll just have an anxiety attack in my sleep. There was a series of dreams that I was having that the dream lady that I painted, she came to me in my dream and it just had just a calming effect. And I told my mom about it and she was like, those are your ancestors, you know, coming to you and telling you that everything's going to be okay. And that was just really reassuring for me. I wanted to share it with people because she had such a calming effect for me. When I saw her face, that it was just kind of like a cradling of my face. And that's just kind of how it felt in my dream, showing kind of like, you know, your ancestors are taking care of you. They're cradling your face. You know, I've received a lot of really great feedback from that painting where it's like, she comes into my home and she brings peace and, and comfort. And that's really great because that's exactly what I felt in my dreams and how I feel when I see the piece. So for that to be received that way by other Native people as well who aren't a part of our culture, that has been, has been really cool and one of my favorite things. It's interesting how what you felt in the dream translated to the painting so well. The way you describe it is exactly how I feel when I look at it. Most of it has to do with the, just the energy I put into it. Because like some of my pieces, I think I just need to be personally more mindful of kind of the energy and the intentions that I put in my paintings. You can tell when something is, is kind of made out of anxiety or made out of depression or made out of that sense of calmness. So I think that's part of the reason why so many people connect to it that way because I had those intentions when doing it and I put that energy into it. So I'm glad that I'm able to to share that with as many people as possible. Yeah. Well, we're here with Tristan Aganoric Morgan, and we'll be right back to talk about how powerful art can be in our communities. Since the dawn of time, the salmon have returned. Compelled by instinct, they respond in the millions. A reminder that, with purpose and perseverance, we can chart the course of our future. As Bristol Bay Native Corporation has done for nearly 50 years, investing in future generations here in a place that's always been. We're here with Tristan Aganork Morgan, who's a contemporary artist based in Anchorage, Alaska. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about 
how you're using your art to start discussions, but also continue discussions on issues that are happening in the community. Specifically, I'm thinking of like MMIW, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. And you had a piece that you did that was very, very personal to you and your family, which was when you drew of your mother and her personal story. Because it is so personal, when you share it with the public and share it on you know, your Instagram, you have a photo of it on your Instagram. What are your thoughts of putting something out there that's so personal that maybe is hard to share? But what do you think that does when you share those images with your community? The biggest thing to remember is that I'm creating work for my community. And so that being seen from outside, I'm not responsible for how they view it or what they think about it because I want to make this work to where we can have these conversations because art is just vulnerability. That's what it's going to be if you want to get anything kind of out of it spiritually, emotionally, it's going to have to be personal. I mean, you can make commercial work, but for me personally, that's not something that I am really passionate about. So the biggest thing was just realizing that my vulnerability and my mom's vulnerability, I did have this conversation with her before. I did make sure that all the information that I shared was the information that she wanted me to share. So I approaching this respectfully, but also knowing that it's a conversation to heal our community and the people in our community. And being vulnerable and just talking about these things really, really helps. I'm very open about mental health and emotional health, especially with me personally. I think once you kind of open up, you have to have some boundaries with mm -hmm. kind of the information that you share, how you share it, and doing it with intention and opening yourself up to not only heal your community and help heal other people, but also to heal yourself as well. So that was a really important piece for me and my mom because it me and my mom didn't see eye to eye growing up. And you see this a lot, especially with within the Native community with intergenerational trauma. It really opened up a moment for me and my mom to connect and have an understanding. And there was just a level of respect that I had for her after that, that I didn't have before. And so that's another important piece for me in, in my work was kind of connecting back to my mom and kind of have a better understanding of, of how our parents and how our family members grew up and how difficult that was and how much you carry that with you into your adulthood. Like I carry a lot of what happened to me as a child into my adulthood. So I would expect my mom to do the same or my dad to do the same. So mm -hmm. once you approach it in kind of that healing mindset, I think it opens doors for this conversation to be something positive and not something that's just going to end there. Yeah. For listeners that maybe haven't seen the piece, can you describe it? It's a triptych. So it's a three-piece painting, three different separate paintings that can all work separately or they all work together. And I went through this process of having my mom tell her story to me. And I did this backdrop and we had this whole setup and she was sitting telling her story and I just kept taking pictures. And I took like 500 pictures. And then I went through all of them and chose the three that I thought gave a good narrative of kind of the grieving process and also that conversation because it was, it was very difficult. She started off very kind of stoic and strong and then 
just as she went on with her story, it just kind of unraveled. So the three paintings are of her emotions. So I I picked them very deliberately to kind of showcase the range of emotions that that our women are two-spirited people go through with something like this and how they hold on to it and how talking about it is really beneficial and it's really necessary and kind of going through that process. So afterwards, me and my mom cried together and, you know, I thanked her for, for sharing the story with me because it was the first time she ever shared it with me. I think the first one, she's kind of looking frantic and then another one, she's very sad and then the third one, she's just, you can kind of just see anger. It's just anger. She was explaining it herself at her predator, at people for not believing her, like all of that. So just showing the range of emotions and the deep pain that's involved with going through something like that, especially at a young age, how much that affects us into the rest of our lives. Your journey as an artist, when you reconnected to your ancestral lands in Wainwright and how that trip really influenced you and kind of gave you that motivation to start really creating work centered around your culture, indigenous culture and issues. Tell us a little bit about what that experience was like. I remember you saying it was sort of a centering moment for you. There's a level of grounding that you get from ancestral lands. And I don't know how to explain it, especially to anyone who aren't connected to their ancestral lands for whatever reason, whether it's they're disconnected or they don't know. Like my body just feels like it's home. And whenever I go back to Wainwright, everything just kind of washes away. I struggle with anxiety and depression. And when I'm there, it's like nothing matters. I'm home. I am calm surrounded by family. I'm surrounded by my people. I just know everything's going to be okay. And everyone's running on native time. So, you know, (laughs) there's no like pressure to be anywhere and go, go, go. Where like Anchorage is, I mean, we're kind of slow, but like it's still kind of that, that urban mindset and you always have to be somewhere. You always have to do something. But when I'm back home, I know that I'm taken care of. I know that I am loved. And I think biggest thing going back was when I went back and everyone there welcomed me home. So everyone, like my family that were there or people who knew me when I was younger, my mom grew up in Wainwright. So everyone knows, obviously knows who I am and who knows who my family is. So when I went back, everyone was like, welcome home, Oganarok. It was so affirming because growing up, I just felt like I didn't really belong anywhere. And we moved around a lot when I was younger too. So that like, it was kind of difficult to make friends and knowing that I always have a place to go back to and I always have a home to go back to. It's reassuring that no matter how difficult things are here, I have my people, I have the land to go back to if I ever need to. Yeah. And you know, another thing I want to touch on, especially for up and coming indigenous artists that might be listening to the podcast is self-compassion as an artist, which can be extremely hard because we are our own biggest critics as creatives and just really criticizing our own work. 
Is there any tips you have as far as self-compassion or practices that you do when you're critically looking at your pieces? You know, how do you deal with self-compassion as an artist? Um, I don't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I... I I know that every artist feels this way. And so when I say this, I'm sure, you know, like you'll feel it, but you just, you have to create. Like, I don't know what it is, but just like, you need to do something. You need to put something out there or you need to put something out for yourself. You know, you don't necessarily have to share any of your work. Whenever I feel down or whenever I, I'm not quite sure, I just, I go back to my community. That has been the biggest thing where if you can't connect back to your community community, then maybe you know, connect back to another Native person. Native women's laughter is super healing. Oh, yeah. So like whenever I whenever I need that, like I just go to my mom and I'll just like talk with her for hours and we'll laugh. And obviously my mom's like one of my best friends. So really just kind of taking yourself out of your work because you can get too hyper-focused on it and then you kind of don't see the big picture. Remind yourself why you're doing it in the first place. And then once you can kind of center yourself again, then go back into your work. But also knowing that there's a lot of strength that comes into putting all of this time and effort into something and, and people are going to see it. Don't beat yourself up through the process and trust the process. That's the yeah. biggest piece is trust the process. Because halfway through my paintings, I'm like, this is the ugliest thing I've ever painted in my life. <laughs> so I just have to be like, okay, just keep going, just keep going and until the very end. And then if you know, if it comes out great, great. If not, then you can start over yeah. or you can paint over it. Yeah. So it all works out. Just don't, don't be too hard on yourself. Everyone's dealing with a bunch of stuff and it'll be hard, but definitely step back, go to your community, come back, do things with intention. Yeah. Awesome. And if people want to find out more about you and see more of your art and just kind of follow you or how can people learn more about you or follow you through social media? Uh, my Instagram is Aganarak, just that. Got lucky <laughs> with with my Instagram handle. My Twitter is Aganarak Tweets. Um, I actually know the other Aganarak who has that, the username. And she asked me, she's like, do you want it? I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't want it to be as easy to find as my, my Instagram. But people can look me up pretty easily. Or my website, which is TristanMorganArt.com. Um, and that's where I have all of my big portfolio pieces and then my CV so you can kind of see the work that I've done in the community and stuff that has been written either about me or about my work. And it's also where you can contact me as well. Twitter, I do a lot of promoting other artists and other stories and, and what have you because that's the easiest way to do it. But Instagram is primarily where I keep kind of my personal space where I share my work and also kind of what influences my work. Right on. Well, thank you for joining us and sharing your perspective, thoughts, and mindset on art and how you look at and create your own art. So thanks for being with us today, Tristan. Thank you for having me. You can find out more about the Native Artist Podcast at nativeartistpodcast.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to rate, subscribe, and comment. Theme music by Inuk artist Reet. Additional music in this episode from Ray Zaragoza, DJ Boogie the Beat, and Samantha Crane. The Native Artist Podcast is supported in part by the National Endowment for the Arts, the Siri Foundation, 
supporting Alaska Native education, culture, and heritage since 1982, and Bristol Bay Native Corporation. This episode is produced by me, your host, Alexis Salee. This has been a production of Indigify, 